All right, team, welcome back to The Man Talk Show. I am Connor Beaton, and I have an interesting guest with me today. But before I tell you a little bit about him, I want to tell you a little bit about this show because I've noticed that in the last uh, few months, we've had a lot of new people tuning into the show. And just very briefly, The Man Talk Show, this is all about bringing you conversations, tools, resources, ideas, concepts, and practical tools that you can implement in your life to become a better man. Whether you are wanting to be a better father, husband, a better business leader, or if you're simply just wanting to improve your physical body, your mindset, the way that you uh, approach problems and find a deeper level of purpose and meaning in your life. So with that said, today I'm going to have a conversation with Ryan Mickler, who is actually one of my very first guests way back in the day when I started the podcast. And I was one of his very first guests way back in the day when he started his podcast. So Ryan Mickler is a husband, a father, and an Iraqi combat veteran and the founder of Order of Man. He grew up without a permanent father figure and has seen firsthand how a lack of strong, ambitious, self-sufficient men has impacted society today. He believes many of the world's most complicated problems could be solved if men everywhere learned how to be, as I said, better husbands, fathers, businessmen, and community leaders. It has now become his life's mission to help men across the planet step more fully into their roles as protectors, providers, and presiders over themselves, their families, their businesses, and their communities. So what are we going to talk about today? We are going to talk about masculinity. Uh, Ryan has recently written a new book. He had one that came out a few years back called Sovereignty. He just wrote a new book called Masculinity Manifesto. How a Man Establishes Influence, Credibility, and Authority. Now, in this podcast, we don't necessarily so much talk about the book. We more so talk about what is masculinity? How do we define masculinity? Is it simply a construct? Is it something that is only produced by society? Is it something that biology impacts? Uh, And so I sort of act as the role of the moderator, just sort of trying to pull out Ryan's ideas and then challenge and push back here and there where I think it might be uh, helpful, even though I have my own opinions, my own thoughts, my own perspective and take on this, my role in today's conversation was to really try and facilitate something that could press back on Ryan's views, because this is obviously a very charged topic for many people. So we talk about masculinity, what it is, why it's important, how we develop it, some of the core principles of it. And Ryan shares some of his his personal story to to go along with shedding some light and examples of why he thinks the way that he thinks and why he believes what he believes and embodies ultimately what he embodies. So if you enjoyed this conversation and there is someone in your life that you know could benefit from this conversation, or maybe you want to send this to a friend and have a bit of a discussion, I always find that that's super helpful for me. I like to send podcasts the minute of my life. And I say, listen to this and let's have a quick convo about it because that is how we integrate ideas. It's by listening, challenging, contemplating, critically thinking, poking holes in them. So uh, if you enjoyed this, send this to somebody in your life that you know will enjoy it. Man it forward. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in, sharing the show. Don't forget to, to leave us a rating and review on whatever platform you're on. It goes a long way. And with all of that said, thank you for joining me. And please welcome Mr. Ryan Mickler. All right, Ryan, welcome back to the Man Talk Show. How you doing, brother? What's up, man? Good to see you. You were telling me before we hit record on this that it's been six years since we've had a conversation. I can't believe it's been that long. Yeah, I know. It was. Uh, I had to go look it up. I was like, I was thinking about this yesterday. I was, I was preparing for the interview, 
I was like, when did we chat? And I was having problems finding the date. But then on my YouTube channel, our conversation is up there. Okay. And it says six years ago. Wow. I was like, holy crap. And I actually remember where I was. I was, you know, I wasn't in the relationship that I'm in. I wasn't married. I think I just started the podcast probably like several months before. Isn't that crazy? And I think you were one of my, my first guests. And I've just, you know, I've watched your career, your life, your family, you know, your business just blow up. And so it's just been such an honor to, to watch you uh, build what you've built. And so, yeah, man. Thank it's, you. Uh, it's yeah. It's cool to see. It's, it's cool to, to experience most of the time. There's downsides, of course, as well, and ups <laughs> and downs and battles and victories and failures and everything in between. But for the most part, things are pretty good. <laughs> good, man. Good. Well, I, you know, I wanted to say, you know, I think even though we've only connected the one time, I think, you know, we've messaged back and forth a few times. Yeah. And it, you, you know, I think you're one of those men that I deeply appreciate in the sense that I can disagree with you sometimes and agree with you other times, but still have a deep respect for you. And yeah. I think that that is so important in our world today. I'm like, I have so much admiration and respect for you, even though, you know, there are many things in our lives that align and there's other things that I'm like, I think that we're, we're different on that, Sure, but I still have a, a deep respect for you. And so, um, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you back on the show and dive into your work and dive into your perspective. Cause I think it's important for us as men to have conversations with people that we respect, but maybe not on every single front that we agree with. Although I'm, I think we're pretty aligned on most fronts. Yeah. I, I, when you say that, I remember that we've had some conversations via social media, maybe Instagram where we didn't agree. I, I can't remember quite honestly what it was, but yeah, I don't, I don't either. And it doesn't, I mean, that's the beauty of it is the things that we tend to in modern culture get wrapped up in and upset by is pretty ridiculous. And, you know, it's funny when, yeah. when you disagree with somebody, how, how a friendship needs to end or, you know, somebody is the, the, the moral equivalency of, of Satan or something, you know, it's like, <laughs> I never, <laughs> I, I never understood that. Um, you know, I don't agree with a lot of people that I have respect for. And, uh, we, in, in fact, I have more respect, especially in this day and age when somebody doesn't agree with me and is still willing to stand on, on what they believe and hold their own and give a reasonable explanation about why that is. And then we can move on and drive on and talk about the things we do agree on. It's, it's, I'm very much like you in that, in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, social media isn't the best place to have depth oriented conversations or any kind of fucking discourse. You know, I've just, I've, I've mostly uh, given that up, you know, even on my own profile, I'm like, I'm not really here for, you know, in-depth discussion, you know, because <laughs> I, I think, I think it's, it's just challenging. People get so riled up and charged and dysregulated. It's a, yeah. it's a gong show. I actually, I would say over the past, I don't know, three or four months, I've actually disengaged a lot from social media. Uh, but, but even to the degree that I am still engaged, I don't really respond too much to very many comments anymore. Um, the overwhelming yeah. majority of the comments are, are, are supportive and are intelligent and, and articulate. Uh, and even that it's just like, I don't, I want to, I want to be social. I want to be able to connect with the people that, that are inspired and motivated by our ideas. Uh, but gosh, it's just such a waste of time to get on there and just get dragged into the mud that I'm just not interested in doing it. I can, I can do another podcast. I can write part of a book. I can spend time with my family. Like I can do things that are so much more meaningful. Yeah. Amen to that, man. Well, and, you know, just to sort of 
wrap up on on this and then I, I you know I'm going to ask you the, the question that I always ask everybody but I do think it's so important because I think over the last three years specifically I've noticed the ability to disagree with somebody and respect them completely dissolve within our modern culture mm-hmm. and I think that that's so damaging you know I I know friends and family members who it's like well if I if you disagree with me on a per- certain perspective, then I don't want you in my life. It's mm-hmm. like, holy shit. Like, really? Yeah. You know, that's, that's so, it's so extreme on so many levels. And I've seen so many people d- dissolve and, and devolve to that. And so, <clears throat> yeah. So anyway, okay. With all that said, um, we're, let's just start with the question, which is tell us a story about a defining moment in your life that made you who you are today. Yeah. I mean, there's so many moments that the moment that comes to mind is when my first son was born, you know, that, that mm-hmm. radically transformed who I was, how I viewed the world, how I, how I judged other people, how I judged my own father more harshly than probably he deserved, uh, how I, how I looked at my mother. I mean, it, it, it was just a shell shock of a, of an experience and it still is. He's now 14 years old. I came home this morning from the gym and he was laying on the couch watching uh, TV with his siblings. He, we've, I've got four kids. And I looked at him like, holy cow, you're, I said, you look like a, like a teenager. He's like, I've been a teenager for like two years, dad. I'm like, <laughs> I know, but it's not, even, maybe not even a teenager. Now you look like a young man, you know, not a boy, not a yeah. child, a young man. And it's so wild to see. And, and all of the lessons that I've learned and the things that he's taught me and the things hopefully I've taught him. Uh, and how I've had to mature. I think the reason it was a defining moment is because really for the first time in my life, I think it was the point where I realized that I now was responsible for someone else. I didn't even feel like that Mm. completely when I got married because my wife is such a strong person. She's very independent. She's clearly, she was an adult when we got married. So she, she had the ability to take care of herself, but we had this child who was completely helpless, completely I was going to say worthless, but that's not obviously the right word, completely incapable of taking care of, of himself. And it was all on our shoulders, man. That was a scary time, a hard time. I struggled, Mm -hmm. but definitely changed my life. And subsequently each of each of my other children, my, my other three children as well, you know, all in their own way. My youngest is, I can actually hear him because I work at home. I can hear him downstairs right now. He's wild. He's crazy. He's He's giving me more gray hair, hair in my beard and hair than, than all of my other three kids combined. But, you know, he brings something to the table that, that I didn't have before. And he teaches me lessons and fatherhood's an amazing experience. Yeah. Yeah. Amen to that, man. I mean, my, uh, my son is 21 months old now Mm -hmm. and he was born. And right after that, I started writing my book. I got, I got my book deal, I think. I had a call the day that we got back from the hospital with publishing houses. Okay. Yeah. And it was such a wild ride to, I mean, having my son, I, I agree will forever have changed me Yeah, uh, in, in so many ways. And so <clears throat> I, I agree. It's, it's a eye-opening thing. The word that came to mind for me was to have somebody be truly dependent yes. on me. And that, <clears throat> that shifted my perspective uh, in terms of like what it means to provide, what it means to be present for someone like my son doesn't need anything from me, but just like my presence, my energy, but he also needs me to make sure that I'm getting stuff done to earn money, you know, to put food on the table and, and to give direction to our family. And, right. and so it definitely made me 
step into a much more mature version of myself. Because before that, I was like, I'm free to do whatever I want and go wherever I want. And, and that was my version of freedom. And so anyway, you, you wrote this great book called The Masculinity Manifesto. And it was one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show was to have a, a deeper conversation around what is masculinity, you know, in your perspective and how do we see it showing up culturally? Because I think we're going through this time where you see it in the news, right? Boys are struggling. Men are struggling. Men are suffering. You know, men are in decline. Boys are in decline. And I can't help but feel like there's a, a part of that is that culture is trying to talk us out of our masculinity in some way, shape, or form. Definitely. That it, there's not that there's a war on masculinity. Maybe there is, but that there's a, a kind of talking out of it in some regards. And so I would love to just start with your take on the broad spectrum. What do you see happening culturally right now in terms of how culture is responding to masculinity? And then how do you start to define masculinity itself? Yeah, so I, I'm I'm hesitant to use the the term war on masculinity as well. I, I've actually warmed more to that verbiage than I have in the past because it's becoming more blatantly obvious. I, I would say, if anything, there's definitely a coordinated assault on the idea of masculinity. I, I think that's that's objectively true. I mean, you can look at academia, mm. how and and just and what I when I say that, I'm talking about the statistics. The statistics of our young boys, for example, and their grades and their dropout rates and their drug use and their incarceration rates and their, their addiction rate, like every metric you want to measure is declining. Our testosterone levels, our strength, every metric is declining. And part of that is academia. Uh, part of that is uh, definitely, definitely influenced by uh, the government. And then I would say the third wing of this or the third tier is the medical community. I mean, look at what the American Psychological mm -hmm. Association says about uh, masculinity that is inherently destructive and dangerous to our young men. So there is an, a, yeah. a coordinated assault on masculinity, on men, and how we show up as strong, capable people for our people. That's our family and our communities. Yeah, it was interesting when that, when the APA when the American Psycholo Psychological Association came out with that sort of like, here's how therapists and psychologists should uh, work with men. And that sort of primary feature of like masculinity being overall net negative and destructive. I was like, what right. in the hell? Right. Like, <laughs> right. And it's so, what's so fascinating to me is like, I have a tremendous amount of therapists and psychologists that follow me, like a lot. Is that right? And I'm, yeah, a ton. And I'm always shocked because they're following me and I get messages all the time because they're following me to understand the men that are coming to work with them more effectively mm. because, and, and I've gotten this a lot where they're like, you know, the guidance that we've received isn't actually beneficial. It doesn't help men because it's sort of uh, negative towards masculinity and negative towards some of the constructs and, and the ways in which men operate. And so they're looking for new resources on how to actually work with men and then understand the men in their own lives. Like I got messages from therapists all the time. They're like, your work is helping me understand my husband better, <laughs> which, yeah. is, which is like, that's interesting, right? Yeah, that's true so, for us as well. If you look at our, our demographics for any platform, whether it's the podcast or uh, social media, YouTube, Instagram, wherever, we have historically about 15% of our followers are, are women. 
And I'll get a lot, yeah. a lot of messages in particular about sing from single mothers who are raising mm. boys, but dad's not in the picture in any form at all. And they're struggling yeah. in raising these, these boys. And obviously, and, and this is not a knock on women at all. I mean, my, my mother raised mm-hmm. my, myself and my sister primarily on her own and she did mm-hmm. a wonderful job, but it was also deficient because she's not mm-hmm. a man. And she knew that she mm-hmm. recognized that. And so she was very deliberate and intentional about getting me around other men through coaching. I joined the military because she realized there was a void that she could not possibly fill. And so we have a lot of, mm-hmm. of women who ha- have the same foresight. Like they care about their sons. They know they can't fully help them turn their masculinity into manliness, that they can't completely help them become men. And they're lost in, in how to do that. And they're not getting any help from academia. They're not getting any help from the government. They're not getting any help from the medical community. If anything, it's the opposite. And they're feeling lost and frustrated about it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I think one of the things that you said there is, because I, I, I agree with you and I see that all the time in terms of like, um, you know, single mothers asking like, what do I do for my son? Mm-hmm. How do you know, how can I support my boy? I see him struggling. His father's not in the picture. It, you, you use the word, I think it was deficient. And I, I can hear some of my audience or, you know, sometimes women will comment on my profile and say like, well, you know, I can do that on my own. Like his father doesn't need to be in the picture. Does he really need a man in his life? And I'm, I'm curious to get your take on that. Why do you think it's so important for a young man to have male role models within his life? Like, what is he going to get? And maybe it seems obvious to you and I, but what do you think he's going to get that he can't get from a, a single mother? Look, and I'm going to say this at the risk of offending the women who would think that you're wrong and you're doing your son mm. a disservice. You're harming your child. You, you truly are. And I say that with all the, the care that I have, that your son gets what he needs and that you're able mm. to provide it for him. And you can't directly provide it to him. You have to get him around other men. And I'll tell you why. Because there are certain characteristics that we as males possess because of our biological makeup that is different, generally speaking, than women. Aggression, dominance, competitiveness, vigilance, strength. Ladies, you don't know what it's like to be a man. You don't know what it's like to have rage inside of you. It's literally coursing through our veins in different quantities than it is for you. And you don't know how to harness it because you've never had to. Plus, you don't understand the pressures that, yes, I would say societally we place on men, but also biologically are placed on us as well. You don't understand that. That doesn't make you inferior, less worthy, of less importance. It just means you don't understand. The same way I can't raise my daughter into a beautiful, lovely, feminine woman the way that her mother can. I'm still important in my daughter's life. Absolutely. Just like you as a mother are still important in your son's life. But there is a void. And that void, if not met, will find its way into destructive, dangerous outlets. Drug abuse, pornography, violence, you name it. That's how it seeps through, if not channeled correctly. 
Yeah, and I think I think the distinction is like it doesn't make you a bad mother no. or a bad parent. No. You know, and it's not that you've done anything wrong. I think that's I think oftentimes it gets like when we have this conversation, it almost gets received as I'm doing something wrong or there's something wrong with me. <clears throat> it's like, well, that's not the case at all. It's simply that there's some kind of like psychological, physical, and emotional nutrients that a young boy will get from a man and a father figure in his life or a male figure in his life that it's hard for him to get from his mother. I remember my wife and I having this conversation when we, when we found out that we were going to have a son and, you know, she was like, well, we were actually having this conversation. She said, do you think that women can just raise boys and that, and that's, it's no problem. And I said, I have a tough time with it because, you know, and I started to explain what it was like for me to go through puberty as a boy you know, uncontrollable sexual urges and boners on buses, you know, and in classrooms and yeah. wanting to punch holes through walls and like just, and just like reckless abandonment. And, and I was like, you know, I have a really tough time believing that all of those experiences were just cultural, you know, that like the, the urge of getting a boner in a classroom or on the bus or, you know, wanting to punch holes through walls, that that's socially bred into me as a young boy. Like when I think when we extract biology out of the equation, we, we do a disservice to both young men and young women. So yeah, both are present. So, okay. I would say with yeah. regards to the societal constructs we often hear about that, that manliness and masculinity that they're not, and even, uh, gender roles is another one. Those aren't societal constructs. They're biological constructs. And then we support them generally societally. We really haven't had to call mm. into question these roles, if you will, until the relative ease of modernity in which we live. Like there's no mm -hmm. enemy to fight. I mean, I know there's wars and there's skirmishes. I, I know that. But generally there's no battle to fight. There's, there's, you know, what's the risk of you starving? What's the risk of you, you know, dealing with, with, a, a neighboring warring tribe. Like this is not happening at, at least to the degree that it mm -hmm. was a hundred or a thousand years ago. And so now because men have created an incredible society, we're reaping the benefits of what we created, but there's also some baggage that comes along with that. And we're calling into question the role that men have played in order to get us to where we are, which means that we're just going to mm -hmm. run into a, a destructive cycle. Yeah, it's. I mean, I feel like we could go down this path. That this could be our whole conversation. So I'm mind, I'm mindful of that because I think we could probably get into the waters of gender roles and you know what's what's happening with men. Uh, I want to just back the train up a little bit before we go further into this conversation to get a reference point on masculinity. I think that's going to be just important for this conversation. So for you, how do you begin to define and refine masculinity? Because I think that's one of the biggest things that I see in the online space is I'll post something about masculinity and, you know, I'll see a lot of comments of like, well, women can be that way too. Or, uh, you know, it's like, well, is that just masculine? And so there's, I think there's a big sort of maybe confusion or resistance or rejection towards masculinity being something and femininity being something. So I'm curious to get your definition on what you think masculinity is. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll start by saying that typically you have two camps. So you have one camp that will say masculinity is toxic. 
that it's inherently toxic. And people say, no, 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 nobody thinks that. They just, what they're saying is that when you use your masculine characteristics for bad outcomes, that's toxic. Some people believe that, yes. But again, we can reference the American Psychological Association that has stated through their study, I'm using that term loosely, that masculinity is inherently destructive and dangerous to our young boys. Like they're saying all of masculinity. So that's one camp. Then you have another camp that says, no, masculinity is inherently righteous. It's good. It, it can't be toxic. It's righteous. I'm, I'm in neither one of those camps. Masculinity is amoral. Mm. It's neither good nor bad because all masculinity is, and if you want to go ahead and look it up, you can. All masculinity is, is a set of characteristics and behaviors that we attribute to men based on our biological makeup. That's it. That's all masculinity is. It's how we harness and utilize those behaviors and characteristics that make us men or not men. Mm. So that's where, I, that's where the distinction comes in for me is it's a masculinity. Again, amoral, it's how we decide to use those characteristics and behaviors that make us men. Uh, yes. And can women act in masculine ways? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's, it's biological. It, it's hormonal. It's chemical. So yes, women also have testosterone, just like men do. It's just different quantities. Again, I'm speaking generally, but that's generally true. I'm going to uh, just come back to, I'll, I'll play devil's advocate whenever I can here, because I think it's important in these types of conversations. So do you think it's just biological or where does the social, um, the social construct and contracts that come into play uh, affect masculine behavior and male behavior? Uh, well, I'll give, if at all. Yeah, sure. I'll give you an example. So men biologically are bigger, stronger, and faster, right? Like we, we can all agree on mm -hmm. that. Now, inevitably, when I say that, some people say, well, what about this Olympian runner? She could beat you. Yeah, probably she could. That's the exception. I'm, I'm speaking generally, men are bigger, stronger, faster. So we're the fighters, period. Why? Because we have a better chance of defending our people and our village, that's the reality. Mm. And that's why you see men primarily in the armed services. Like it's not. Mm. So, so societally we're like, Hey, that guy's bigger, stronger, and faster. Yeah. I want him to defend me. I mean, that's it. So societally we mm. recognize the biological construct and then we're like, that seems right. So yes, let's go with that. And that's why it works. So you're saying that the social the social constructs of masculinity and of femininity are uh, a byproduct of our biological and sort of historical evolution. Correct. Which is why you see roles changing currently because what was valued a hundred or a thousand years ago, like the ability to fight, for example, is not a, as valuable in society as um, being intelligent, which is not neither mm. masculine nor feminine. Right. So that's mm -hmm. why societally mm -hmm. you see some of these roles changing because what we value has changed because of our current circumstances. Would you say that, that as modernity has really started to take a hold within our culture, specifically within Western culture, that masculinity has become less relevant, less needed? Because it, it almost seems like um, there's a connection between what you're saying in, in the sense that as modernity has risen, as things have become easier for us, that the that masculinity has sort of become the the culprit and the villain, right? The patriarchy, masculinity, et cetera, have become uh, have become the vil the villain. So, do you think that as things become more easy, 
the perception is that masculinity is less needed? And, and if so, why is that? Well, masculinity is only the villain when people are living lives of ease and comfort. You can take any mm. natural disaster over the past three to five years, hurricanes, floods, earthquakes, these types of things, and you can see that the people that are going in with the boats, the people that are performing the rescues, the people that are saving other people, they're men. it's men. It's men mm. doing that work. So nobody calls into question the role of men when things are going poorly. Nobody. In fact, they honor it. Hey, we're so glad. We're so grateful we have these strong and bold and capable men. We celebrate them as heroes. But when things are good, it's not as needed. So again, the values, what we value changes based on the circumstances. But I would say that in some ways, some of the characteristics like the propensity for violence, for example, isn't as needed generally as it was maybe a hundred or a thousand years ago. Sure. Because the likelihood of you dealing with a violent encounter is significantly less than it was a hundred or a thousand years ago. But there's other things that make Mm. us men. There's other characteristics that we possess in greater quantities than our female counterparts. Violence, dominance, competitiveness, aggression, vigilance, strength. These are all things that are defined as masculine. And yet we can take competitiveness, for example, and apply that in the business arena and be actually very, very successful. If you look at the Western world and specifically free market capitalism, which is based on competitiveness, has created more wealth, more prosperity, more abundance, more health than any other system devised by humans in the, na- in the, in the history of our, of our species. Mm. And it's all mm-hmm. based mm-hmm. on competitiveness. So you're telling me that mm-hmm. competitiveness is toxic, more wealth, more uh, health, and more prosperity by being competitiveness. It doesn't seem inherently toxic to me. Yeah, and, and less and less poverty in general. Again, I'm going to continue to just sort of play devil's advocate here and there. And just to be clear to my audience, it's not that I uh, am being disagreeable or or playing devil's advocate because I believe what I'm saying or taking the stance on what I'm saying. I just think that in these conversations, it's it's good to have a little bit of pushback um, because it it it's fruitful for the conversation. I think it flushes out the idea. I agree. I can almost hear people online. Sometimes I'll put that filter through. Uh, my conversations of like, what would the masses say? You know, like what would the modern culture say? And I can almost hear this like notion of like, well, that's, those are very sort of stereotypical roles or antiquated and outdated roles for what a man should be doing or the role that masculinity should be playing. Don't you think that masculinity should evolve? Don't you think that men should be evolving with the times? So what would you say to something like that in in terms of like, because you're laying out, okay, masculinity violence, dominance, you know, aggression, succeeding, building competition, all of these things have helped to get our world, our cultures to where they are today. There's also been, you know, a very net negative impact sometimes on that, right? Right. On the the world, uh, you know, lots of death, lots of war, et cetera. So where's the evolution of masculinity? Where's the evolution of, of men? Should we evolve beyond this or are these things that are inherently important? Again, I go back to the way that we use these tools. So let's, let's, I'll give you a metaphor. Let's take a hammer, for example. I've got a hammer in my hand and I can use that hammer to build a beautiful home that a family will live in, like mine or yours, 
and they'll be able to create memories and raise children. And it might even be generational if that house gets passed on and they're working on the house and they're learning lessons in that house and they're learning about God in that house. And it's beautiful. And it was built with a hammer among other tools. Mm. But I could also take that hammer and I could go to my neighbor's house and I could crush his skull with that hammer. The ha- it's not the hammer. The hammer is amoral. It's a hunk of metal. It, it, it's an innate object. It's, it's nothing except for how we use it. So if we're talking about now masculinity, if let's take violence, for example, men have a propensity for violence more so than our female counterparts. So if I'm walking down the street and I see a beautiful woman and I decide to violently and physically assault that woman, we would all agree that that's an improper use of my capacity for violence. If, however, I was walking down the street and I saw somebody else assaulting this beautiful woman that was walking down the road, and I decided to exert my ability to be violent against that individual, and I stopped it and saved her, I think all of us would agree that that is an appropriate use of violence. So this is why I make the distinction between masculinity and manliness. If I use violence to assault that woman, I am not acting like a man. That is not manly behavior. If I use my capacity for violence to rescue and serve other people, all of us would say that was a manly thing to do. And that's the distinction between masculinity and manliness. So when you ask the question, how do we evolve? That's it. It's a, refri- it's a refinement. Can I use my ability to be violent or my ability to be strong or my ability to be competitive or even my desire to be dominant? for productive outcomes for myself and other people. And if I can and do that effectively, I am acting manly. Mm. It's, yeah, I mean, it's, I think what's interesting is a, a few things that really stand out to me about where you stand, which is that masculinity is amoral, right? That it's, it's neither good nor bad. And it's when we sort of project our own individual subjective um, perspectives onto masculinity saying, well, these parts of masculinity are good and these parts are bad. And I like these parts and I don't like these parts, or I like this part, right? Like violence under these circumstances, under these circumstances. I, I do think that that is a very important element to this conversation because I think that it's very challenging for people to see masculinity as amoral in our modern culture. I think a lot of people see it as something that is either just and righteous and good or unjust and bad and toxic. Would you, would you agree with that? And why do you think that it's so challenging for people to see masculinity as amoral? Well, they're just words. I mean, we, we all, that's really, and, and even if at a more base level than that, they're just sounds. Masculinity is just sounds our body is making. Manliness is just sounds our body. So we have to define what we're talking about. <laughs> and I'm choosing to define masculinity as an amoral set of characteristics and behaviors. And I'm choosing to define manliness as the ability to harness those characteristics for productive outcomes for ourselves and other people. I have to do that because I want to make sure when I'm talking with somebody that we know what in the world we're talking about. So, mm. I, you know, I don't really... I don't like to get tripped up over semantics, but I do have to define those words, especially in this conversation, because there is so much confusion about it. If you and I wanted to build a rocket ship to go to Mars, but we didn't agree that two plus two equals four, like there's no other conversation we can have. So all that I'm yeah. doing is trying to establish uh, what these sounds mean 
and how we use them so we can actually have an intelligent discussion. And the intelligent discussion to me is how do we use our God-given characteristics to help and serve ourselves and other people? And that's what I'm after. Do you, I've kind of gotten the sense over the last however many years that there's this push for a kind of utopian version of culture and society on one hand, but also a negating of some of the inherent um, truths of being a man. You know, like, for example, this notion of, of violence or of dominance. I think that many men experience that in different ways. And the repression of it is a very dangerous thing culturally, relationally, um, socially. I think it's a very dangerous thing. And I found that the men that repress those elements of themselves and pretend like, I'm not angry. I don't have anger. I'm not connected to my anger that those are often the men that are doing some of the most damaging things behind the scenes. So do you think that there's a, a push or a desire or a drive to make men somehow inherently different than they naturally are? I do because effective men can also be dangerous. If I mm. have the capacity for violence, it is possible that I could use that violence against other people. And that's scary you know, that's scary to the yeah. weak. That's scary to the ignorant. They're, they might believe that they're in a vulnerable position. And frankly, they are. If I got on the, on the mats, like I, I train jujitsu. That's something I do regularly. I've been doing it for almost four years now. If I get on the mats with somebody who's never trained before, I'm going to win. A hundred percent. I'm going to choke that individual out or break one of their limbs. A hundred percent. And that's scary to the person who hasn't trained. So culturally and socially, and this is maybe like the last part, what do you see as the value of that skill set? Because I think maybe that's the sort of, that's an element of male culture that I think has come under attack, that there's not as much value in having some capacity for violence, having some capacity for aggression or dominance, that that is seen as as less than and unimportant and antiquated and should be eradicated in some way. Why don't you ask this uh, domestic abuse survivor about that question? Why don't you ask mm. somebody who's been violently assaulted on the street or in an alley that question or a woman who's been raped that question? What good is it to have men, moral, righteous men who are capable of administering violence? Why don't you ask her that question? Mm. I mean, it, it may not be as as necessary as it once was. Here, here's another question or another person you should ask. The person that was saved by the firefighter who decided to risk his life to run into a burning building and pull mom and baby out of that building before it burned to the ground. Why don't you ask her that question? Mm. You know, why don't you ask the, the question of the family that was in a flood that is sitting on the roof of their house waiting for them, for somebody to come rest? Ask them that question. See, it's easy to, to paint masculinity and manliness in this negative light when you don't feel like you're the beneficiary of it, but you are by the, by mm. the, by the very fact that we're here having this conversation, you are the beneficiary of it. And you might not realize it. You may be ignorant to that fact, but here you are. So mm. what I would, what I would like is I would like to know not that we don't have 
violence because that's never going to go away. There's always going to be immoral people in the world. I want to know that the righteous ones who are capable of these things are on my side. Mm -hmm. And that's where I, again, make this distinction. My role and what I want to do and who I want to be is a righteous man. I want to be that person. I want to help other men be righteous men so that we can use violence, competitiveness, dominance, aggression to serve other people. But we got to, we got to understand that it's going to exist, whether we acknowledge it or not. I just want the men on my side. (laughs) Yeah. I, I appreciate this conversation. I love this. And I feel like we could talk sort of philosophically about this for, for a long time because uh, you know, I, I also see the value in it. You know, I, I grew up playing hockey um, I've trained in boxing. I really love it. Like one of my favorite, I have a boxing punching bag out in the garage. One of my favorite things to do is, is to just go out there and throw down. And it's, it, it feels exhilarating. And I've been in a number of fights and, and almost all of them, minus a couple, almost all of them were protecting somebody else, protecting a friend, protecting a girlfriend. And for me, I know the value of being in a circumstance where where somebody else is in danger and I have to step in, I get to step in from a place of competence, not from a place of like, oh shit, what the fuck am I going to do? But from Mm -hmm. a place of like, I know how to hold my own in this situation. This other person doesn't, they are about to be harmed and I can protect them. And for me, there's something inherently valuable in that and, and beautiful in that. Um, And I think the notion that we should eradicate that sort of comes from this place, I think, this is just a personal belief, of like wanting to live in this utopia where violence doesn't exist. But it's not where we are as a species right now. And so we have to, we have to deal with, uh, with the reality that we inhabit. Sure, we can aim to make it better. Sure, we can ma- aim to improve it. I think all those things are true. Um, but there's still value in being able to protect and to serve. And so I just wanted to sort of put that out there. I would love to shift the conversation into this notion of the distinction between masculinity and manliness and what makes a man a man. Because I think this is, again, it's a huge topic that I think is very much debated right now. And so I'd be curious to get your takes. I know you write about this in the book. Yeah, I would say at a very general, broad level, our ability to protect, provide, and preside over and for ourselves for our loved ones and people who are incapable of doing that is what defines us as men. Again, Mm. our ability to protect. So that's that that's protection in all its forms, our ability to provide physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and our ability to preside, which is synonymous with leadership again for ourselves first, then our circle, that's our family and our loved ones. And also for those who cannot do it for themselves. And, and I say Mm. it that way very deliberately because I think historically and and maybe in the past, we would look at certain, let's take provision, for example, we would look at certain occupations like a, uh, like a carpenter or a first responder or, um, a a member of the military, uh, as, and we would blacksmith, right. And we would look at these as very manly professions. And then we would look at somebody like, like a painter or a musician or a chef, maybe even as not manly. Well, that does, there's no, there's no manly job or, or, or unmanly job, (laughs) but if you're providing for yourself and for your loved ones, and you happen to be doing it by being a professional chef, I would say that's a manly pursuit. Or maybe Mm. you're, maybe you're a man and you're a florist. Like historically we might say, oh, that's a, that's a woman's job. 
Well, is it? You're mm-hmm. providing for your family. You're creating. You're, you're, you're taking care of yourself and other people. You're adding to the environment around you. I would say that's a manly endeavor. So th- that's why I define mm-hmm. it that way is to protect, provide, preside. And there's an infinite number of ways we can do those things. Yeah, I love that. Two things came up. One is like my initial career was a classical singer. I was an opera singer. Right. And, and, and interestingly enough, one of the reasons why I left that, that career path was because when I looked into the future, there was a part of me that knew that it was always going to be a struggle to provide for my family. And because of how the industry was, I also didn't really like the industry, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But there was, there was this notion of like, oh, this is going to be a challenge. And I don't, I, don't, I don't necessarily want that as a man. You know, I don't want to be a father who's constantly worrying about struggling to provide for his family or contribute. The other thing that I think came up, I remember studying uh, Spartans, you know, like the, from the movie Sparta, the 300. Yeah. Um, and they had something called, I think it's Goji. Go, a Gogi. I can't, I can't remember how to say it. Gogi, yeah. At, the, at their training and they would take the boys away at like 11 or 12. And in the morning it was combat training. And in the afternoon it was training around art, dance, music, painting, poetry. And so I think, do you, do you get the sense that it's just recently that we've sort of divided um, certain things, certain actions, certain roles as manly and not manly? Like where the hell did that come from? Because I love what you're saying, right? It's like you can be a florist and still be manly. You can you can do these things and still it can still be manly. Where do you feel like that comes from? That notion of like, well, if you do these certain things or certain jobs, you're you're not manly or not masculine in some way. Yeah, I don't I don't actually think it's it's a recent development. Again, it it, it does actually stem from our innate characteristics. There's a book. It's right. It's this one right here. This blue one. It's called mm-hmm. Manhood in the Making. It's well, it's either that blue one or this blue one. I don't know which one it is, but it's one of those blue ones right there. Um, <laughs> For the people listening, he's pointing at his bookshelf yeah. behind him. <laughs> um, it's called Manhood in the Making. And uh, what he does, uh, David Gilmore, is what he does is he goes and he studies cultures and tribes currently and throughout history. And what he finds is that cultures, many of which have never been introduced to each other, have striking similarities in the way in which they view masculinity and manliness. And, and mm. what he determines is that it's overwhelmingly protection, provision, protect, provide. And his third is to procreate. Now, I, I, don't, I don't believe that procreation is an element of that. And I'll explain why that's the case, because I know plenty of, of males who I consider to be men who don't have children because medically they're incapable of doing so. But I would say father fatherhood is an element of manliness. And I'm not talking about just biological fatherhood. I'm talking about fathering in your community. If you don't have children, you still have a responsibility to father children in your community, even act in many ways as a father to uh, maybe it's employees or, or team members, teammates, people you're coaching and mentoring. Fatherhood is a crucial component of that because why? Protecting providing and presiding, leading. This is what makes a man. And I don't think it's a relatively new development. I I think it's based on our biological makeup. One of the things that seems to be interesting about the the age that we're living through in terms of like the internet uh, is characters like Andrew Tate rising up and having so much, are you familiar with him? Have you seen any of his stuff? I, I know who he is and I, and I see clips here and there. My, my oldest son, my two oldest boys, 
play his videos and they're like, look how cool this is. I'm like, it's not really that cool, but yeah, I'll watch it and we yeah. can actually have a discussion. He's got it. the Bugatti, yeah, you right, know, right. he's like got the, he's got the Kung Fu going on. Um, but there's sort of like these characters that embody a very specific sort of, I, I want to call it brand of masculinity that get a lot of heat and a lot of attention. And I think, I think it's interesting because so many young men follow them. And, you know, you're, you're a father of a few boys. And I think one of the things that our culture is sometimes lacking in is, is this father figure that you're talking about. So when you look at the future generation, when you look at the fact that less men are going to college, less men are employed, you know, men are making less than before, they are having less sex than before. I mean, like statistically, it's, there's a lot of challenges that young men are facing. What, what do you wish or hope that the future generation of young boys and young men would know, would know how to do, would know what to embrace? Like what, what do you wish that they knew about masculinity and being a man? Well, I, I think we hit on it, that protect, provide, preside component, but also not shying away from who they are as, as males and learning how mm -hmm. to harness, again, those characteristics, violence, aggression, dominance, stoicism, competitiveness, vigilance, strength. Say, okay, these are things that I possess. Like I inherently possess these characteristics and it takes somebody who already has those characteristics and has known how to refine those into productive channels and outlets. Yes, I was watching a video the other day. Somebody had videoed, I was, I was doing jujitsu and somebody had, was videoing it. And I watched the click, the quick video. And I, I was applying a baseball bat choke on, on the guy that I was mm. competing with. And I looked at my face and I'm like, holy cow, look at my face. Like I was like visible, like it was angry. It's like an angry face. And then he tapped and my whole demeanor changed. I let go. My face changed. I got up, you know, made sure he was okay. That was violence in a controlled environment. That was an appropriate use of, of what I possess. And without men who know how to do these things, our boys are going to find these destructive outlets. They're going to be addicted to drugs and alcohol and pornography. They're going to get into violence and, and gangs and criminal activity. I mean, it's, it's, it's getting bad. It's going to get worse as we continue to see this rise of fatherless homes. There was something I wanted to say. Uh, I feel like it's just slipped my mind. Yep. It's totally gone. All right. Maybe it'll come back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wanted to dive into this notion of, of presiding because I think it's a word that not many people use. And so can you just unpack a little bit about what presiding looks like, sounds like to you, and why it's so important for men specifically? Yeah, it's, it's righteous leadership is what it is. And, 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 I, and I use the word righteous because you, you can lead people in an unrighteous way. I mean, we can all think of, mm. of characters throughout history who have done some of the most horrific things to other humans and have somehow convinced other people to follow them and behave in very much the same way. So presiding is about righteous leadership. It's about understanding what you want, where you want to go. It's about being able to cast that vision to other people. It's about recognizing the strengths and gifts and talents, abilities of others and putting them in the right positions, making sure that the job gets done, you know, setting aside the ego, for example, and saying, okay, what is the best way to accomplish this? Enlisting others in your cause building them up, mm. finding their strengths, focusing on those things, shoring up weaknesses. These are all characteristics of great leaders, but it does take righteous leadership. And that's how I define the ability to preside. 
And for example, with my family, I preside over my family. You know, I, I, I preside over my, my business and my organization doesn't mean that I don't have other people involved and women involved, like my wife, for example, or women within the organization mm-hmm. who help me with various tasks. It just means that ultimately I am at the helm and I am steering the ship. Yeah, I love that. I love that notion. And just like this, this idea of righteous leadership, when I would love to just sort of personalize this a little bit. What does it look like in terms of your business, like how you operate within your business with, with integrity, morally? How do you preside over your business? What does that look like on a daily basis? Like, do you, are you somebody who's regimented in his routines uh, during the week, like scheduled out? Um, or are there certain things that you're working on teaching your sons as a man? Like, I would love to get sure. some insight on what this looks like for you real time. Yeah. I mean, let me first just say, I don't, I'm not perfect at this. And, and, and I've, I've never, I hope I've never put myself out as, somebody who has it all figured out and I'm doing everything perfectly. I know that I'm not. And I know there's a lot of deficiencies. And I, and in fact, I think recognizing and acknowledging those deficiencies can actually make you a better leader. Mm. Because if the people who are following you, whether that's listeners or your children or whoever it might be, don't resonate with you, it's going to be harder for them to follow you. But if they see a leader who struggles in a lot of ways, like I personally do, and I'm willing to acknowledge those things and talk about how I'm trying to work on and improve in these areas, then they see themselves in me. Hey, look, if dad's dealing with this, but he's doing X, Y, and Z, then I know I can do that too. If I paint myself as the epitome of manliness and that I'm perfect and have everything figured out, like that's not going to resonate. Well, first, it's not true. And it's also not going to resonate with the people who know themselves to be deeply flawed. There's a lot of guilt and shame and sorrow and regret and remorse that people are experiencing. And if I pretend that I have everything figured out, man, they're not going to follow me because they don't see themselves in me. So I, I, I'm hesitant to go to the V word, the vulnerability word, because I think in modern times, uh, vulnerability has become like the end objective. Like we're going to be vulnerable for the sake of vulnerability. I don't believe that's Mm -hmm. the case. I think vulnerability for the sake of relatability maybe, or connection with other people. I I can be vulnerable with my wife, for example, because I want to be connected to her. Uh, I could be vulnerable to some degree, not entirely, but to some degree to the people who are listening to the podcast because I want them to see where I struggle and what I'm trying to do to get better. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it's not the end state. It's just means to an end. I appreciate that. Like, and I wrote, there's a chapter in my book called the myth of male vulnerability. Mm. And the part of it is, is just this notion that because men are struggling and we can see it, the answer to that is to just be more vulnerable. And that's what men are told. Right. right. That's, that's, that's the myth, right. In, in some ways, if I just condense it down, it's like, yes, that might be part of the equation, but so too might be becoming more competent, you know, in certain areas of your life, becoming more competent in your uh, physical nature, in your finances, in your mental health, in your relationships. Like, I think we often undervalue the, the, the importance of competence within our lives as men. I'm mindful that we only have a couple minutes left. Um, 
on this conversation, we've covered a lot of ground in terms of like modern culture, what masculinity is, the you know the di- this distinction and difference between masculinity and manliness. Is there anything else that you would just like to leave men with on these topics of masculinity, manliness, and protect, provide, preside? Yeah, I think you might, as you step more into who you are as a man, experience in modern culture some some pushback, at a minimum, some confusion or hesitancy from other people about that. And what I would suggest to you is that anybody, man or woman, who looks at a male who's using his male characteristics for productive outcomes for himself and other people, they don't, that, that, that's not a threat to them. In fact, mm-hmm. they're happy to have those people around. It's when we aren't doing things correctly. We might be exhibiting masculine behaviors, but we're not doing them in healthy ways that that's threatening and scary to people. And I understand that. That might come from people who have been victimized by men uh, and then they paint all of all men that way. Uh, maybe it comes from ignorance because they bought into some you know lie that they heard from somebody else. But it is there and we need to acknowledge it. But the longer that you can be consistent in using your masculine characteristics for productive outcomes for other people, maybe even people who don't like you, they're going to begin to see that, oh no, this is a man. This is an asset. This is somebody I want on my team or working with me or maybe even partnering with for life, you know, as my spouse. So work to be around other men, righteous men, that's important. And uh, work to build out the things that make you a man. And people will see if you're harnessing it correctly, people Mm -hmm. will see. And we can win a lot of people over to this side and see how good it is for society as a whole. I love that. And I I almost hear in the background of that, like, welcome the confrontation. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, it's okay for people to disagree and, uh, and to challenge you and to push back and like all of those things are okay yeah. and, and stay the course in some way. So yeah, listen, Ryan, this is great, man. I love our conversation. Let's not wait six years. Well, no, you're <laughs> coming here. We're not, we're going to do it. I think in January we have something scheduled and I'm excited That's to right. get a copy of your book, uh, because you talked yes, about, sir. uh, the myth of male vulnerability. I don't know what else is in there, but I'm excited to get a copy and then to have the conversation on our podcast. It's on the way, brother. It's on the way. Well, for everyone that's out there, uh, we have links in the show notes to Ryan's book, Masculinity Manifesto. Uh, We also have links in the show notes to his first book, Sovereignty. And so you can check him out there. You can check him out on Instagram. We'll have the links to his podcast, uh, his socials in the show notes as well. And don't forget to man it forward. Share this podcast with somebody that you know will enjoy it. Maybe have a bit of a discussion, discourse around it. Uh, And until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off. Thank you.